Pastor John, you're back home in Knoxville after a lengthy trip to the Middle East, your first trip to the Middle East. Can you give us a summary of your travels and share with us some of the things that you did along the way? It was a three-week trip, Tony. We went to uh, Ethiopia first and spent a week there, uh, spoke in four churches and did a Bible conference with uh, Jason Meyer, who has replaced me at Bethlehem. It was thrilling to do the tag team preaching with Jason in a conference on Second Corinthians and, and to be a part of the churches there and see what God is doing in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I was so encouraged in several of these churches and how God is at work and, and saw the importance of the sovereignty of God and saw the cry of the Ethiopian church to uh, help them train pastors because the uh, spread of the gospel is huge in southern Ethiopia and probably 80% of the pastors there have no theological training and uh, they are very good at evangelism, they were telling me, and yet the need for ongoing training and equipping and deepening of the leadership for the sake of the people is just huge. So I would just encourage any listeners to give your life away in in um, Bible teaching and pastoral enrichment and uh, world missions in this way. Th- then we went over to the UAE, which is on the the Gulf, um, the, the Arab Peninsula, so the peninsula that has Saudi Arabia uh, in the middle of the huge mass and then Kuwait up the top and then come down to the horn there's Qatar and UAE and then around the corner is Oman and Yemen these are the Gulf oil states and uh, all kinds of revelations were happening to me about things I did not realize here that basically these these countries are more friendly toward the United States and just across the Persian Gulf to the north and the east is Iran and Iran is uh, the adversary both of the US and of these states and when you think of the the, the Islamic uh, surveillance on the people in the UAE where I was I was told they're not they're not worried about Christians <laughs> They're they're worried about radical Islam who could upset the balance of of uh, good relationships between them and the United States, who provides so much of their help in the oil drilling and in the selling of their oil. It's a hugely rich land. The UAE is the 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 country forty years ago was sand. Today. Dubai is probably the most modern city in the world. It's got the tallest building in the world. There are 450 uh, skyscrapers, meaning over 40 stories tall. It's got huge malls. It's got sophisticated uh, infrastructure. And all of that is largely provided by the expertise from, from the West. And therefore, they don't want those relationships messed up by the Muslim Brotherhood coming in here and be producing another Arab Spring. So when the Arab Spring happened in the other countries and the people rose up and started to throw off their leaders, the wealthy leaders in UAE upped the salaries of all their emirates and uh, <laughs> made everybody happy because they produce about 3,000, I mean, 3 million barrels of oil a day, each of them worth about $100. And so this country is owned and led by a a benevolent dictatorship of about seven uh, sheikhs who are the landed um, 
powerful families, and one of them is the main one. And so they have all this money, and they have used it to make their people very happy, and they've built these huge cities, and it's built on sand in more ways than one. I mean, a lot of people look at the uh, Burj Khalifa, which is the tallest building in the world, and they say it's just like the Tower of Babel. And it is, because they built it to make a name for themselves. The word Khalifa is the name of the sheikh who provided the money to finish it when they ran out of money in in Dubai. And so uh, it's fragile (coughs) in the sense that it's oil money and the expertise is coming from elsewhere. So that about 85% of the people who live in the UAE are um, from outside that country. And therefore the, the expertise and the manpower, both at the lowest labor levels, that are, <laughs> lowest levels of labor that are almost like slaves, and the highest level of expertise in the, in the high rises are, are coming from outside UAE. So what they have is money, but they don't have a lot of expertise. They're trying to rectify that with a lot of ex- education. The upshot of that for missions, Tony, was just phenomenal. The, the Christians are um, not looked upon disrespectfully there. The sheikhs have provided land in several of the of the Emirates in order that the Christians might build churches on them. They know that since they have 85% people coming from outside the country to work there, they need to provide for them and make them happy. So they know lots of them are Christians, so let them have churches. Well, that means that there are in Dubai, I, I talked to several people about this, there are probably a thousand churches in Dubai. Now, there are only, you know, half a dozen of those that are landed and provided for by the sheikhs, but they all know, the sheikhs know, the authorities know that these churches are there, they know where they meet, when they meet, and they are just turning uh, away and letting them be. What's against the law in in um, UAE is proselytizing. And if you ask people, what does that mean? You get a lot of different answers. <laughs> One Christian will say, it means paying a Muslim to be a Christian. <laughs> Another will say, it means giving them a Bible if they don't ask for it. In other words, it, it's a pretty ambiguous law. And the reason I think it's ambiguous is because they're happy to leave it ambiguous so that they can kick out anybody they want and keep anybody they want. And so there's amazing freedom. I preached in uh, uh, Abu Dhabi, which is the capital, in the National Theater. It was about half full, uh, and up at the top were these white-robed authorities making sure I didn't diss Muhammad or something that I shouldn't do. And I preached the gospel there as clearly in terms of a, a... a uh, propitiation and a substitutionary atonement, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the necessity to believe on Christ, and they were listening to all that. So here you have a whole line of Muslims who heard the gospel because uh, they provide for Christians. We had to advertise that event as for Christians. Well, a guy told me the day before, I'm bringing six of my Muslim friends with me. So I know that uh, the gospel is being heard by the local Muslim people. And one other observation, maybe. Um, I was just so thrilled with uh, the kind of vision that some uh, church 
planters and pastors have in Dubai in particular, but across the Emirates. I'm thankful for John Fulmer. What an inspiration he was to me. He's the pastor or one of the pastors at the UCCD, United Christian Church of Dubai. And that church has had a, has a, a reformation, a, a theological transformation in the last nine years. And then he's had a vision for filling the region with gospel preaching churches. So they planted a church across town called Redeemer. They planted a church in uh, Ras al Khaimah. And a fourth church in in a nearby emirate. So there's a, a a vision for filling the region with gospel preaching churches, and in those churches are the most diverse gatherings of people that I've ever preached to. I preached in in two two churches there, and and uh, both of them had. Uh, between 60 and 70 different nations in the service. And those people then uh, work here for a season. Many of them go back to their countries. And all those people work hand in glove, usually, with uh, local uh, Muslim emirates. And if you go to joshuaproject.net, there are 28 uh, Muslim peoples unengaged in that region, and this is at least one remarkable way of reaching them. So the trip, Tony, was just uh, incredibly encouraging to me at what God is doing there and was an education about the Middle East affairs that I hadn't realized, and, and it just caused me to assess my own life and want to throw it out to everyone else's mind. One of the missionaries we've had there for almost 20 years said, John, if you can just find me people who, it would need to be men in this case, men who have been in their careers in engineering for five years and and have them send me their CVs. I can put them to work here teaching engineering in a school, and uh, they would have contact with uh, Muslim students every day. That's wonderful. Uh, it, it sounds like the trip was wonderfully productive, and uh, how providential that the cross-conference on missions is right around the corner. Well, it's interesting that the Lord would ordain that I spend three weeks overseas just a few weeks before the cross-conference because I... My sense of its strategic importance has skyrocketed. I mean, in principle, I always know that when you gather students together, historic, you, you have a, a tinderbox of potential for explosive world impact because God in the last several centuries at least has done amazing things through students when they've gathered together for uh, mission deliberation and agitation and education and outreach and and so it's always been high but but having seen what God is doing in just one little pocket I mean if you went to different places you'd have the same thing happen makes me want to hold out to students a possibility of of dreaming a a dream in missions I, I sat beside the uh the leader of SIM, I believe, in Ethiopia, and asked him, what could I do in my last 10 years, say, if God gives me 10 years, what could I do that would help you? And he thought for a minute, and he said three things. I'll just mention one. He said, send us, if you can, missionaries with lifetime commitment." It's hard to accomplish long-term goals with short-term commitment. So one of my dreams, Tony, for the cross-conference is to hold up the beauty 
of a life laid down and poured out in a place for Jesus. I think the mentality for the past decades has been that in America, everybody will have five different vocations. We're all very mobile. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. Moving a lot. And, and, and there's nothing, there isn't anything intrinsically wrong with it. But what it does is minimize the beauty and the power and the beauty of staying at something. And in missions, it takes a long time to learn a language. It takes a long time to be at home in a culture. It takes a long time to win trust. It takes a long time to see things strategically from inside another world. And if you go there with the sense of, oh, I'll give a couple of years and then, you know, I'll be off to do another thing, it's not the same. And so that's one of the excitements I have is that maybe God would be pleased in our day to turn that whole mindset around so that young people could start to say, it is a beautiful thing. It is something I really aspire to, to lay down my life and give myself in one one place to one people for one great, glorious, eternal cause. Yes, amen. And speaking of the Cross Conference, it all begins on December 27th in Louisville, Kentucky. And for more information about the conference online, you want to check out the website at crosscon.com, crosscon.com, C-R-O-S-S-C-O-N.com. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Thanks for listening.